Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we got week 17 to break down, everybody. I understand most, if not all, season-long fantasy football leagues have ended. I hope that all you listeners out there were able to bring home some championship gold, but the grind never stops over here at PFF. I love talking about football 365 days a year. If you think the season-long leagues ending is going to stop me from doing that, you are terribly mistaken, my friend. We will be cutting back the podcast a little bit, otherwise my entire family might kill me. So moving forward, we'll be having podcasts on Wednesday and Friday. Friday is going to be, you know, the different non-PFF guests that I talk usually through 10 questions with. This Friday is going to be TJ Hernandez from 4 for 4 going to do some DFS stuff. Today, I am pleased to have Andrew Erickson, who you guys all know from throughout this whole season, doing the game-by-game breakdown. So two podcasts moving forward, but again, we will continue to be giving you fancy and just overall good uh, real-life football coverage throughout the Super Bowl and into the offseason. So with that said, Andrew, welcome back, man. We have made it through the 16-week grind, but like I said, man, it doesn't stop. Happy week 17. The football does not stop. We have week 17, a lot of DFS action, 15-game slate. Love it. And then we got playoff DFS coming up as well. So it should be a lot of fun. And, yeah, this will be the last week 17. That doesn't matter for seasonal <laughs> leagues because next year we will have a real week 17. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, that's that's some madness right there. I still don't know how I feel about that. Either way, yeah. So we're gonna go through these matchups. It's, you know, week seventeen is DFS Christmas, pretty much DraftKings FanDuel, whatever you know your fancy is. So we're gonna make sure to have a little extra DFS note for most of these matchups, but also just go through, uh, you know, talk about the motivation. There's really only three games, I think, or three teams, I should say, that I should shout out real quick: the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid's already came out and pretty much said Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek, the key starters will not be out there, and also Mike Tomlin has said that Ben Roethlisberger will not be on center they're still playing to win but some of the key starters on defense as well could be out buffalo bills the only other team that i believe could be at risk of doing this it's just an issue where there's no bye week attached to the two seed anymore so if you don't have the one seed it's like what do you really have to play for but just continue to keep an eye on the news throughout the weekend because these can obviously swing uh what we're about to tell you now as we record this on a tuesday afternoon so without further ado let's get started everybody first matchup on the agenda vikings at the lions minnesota open as three and a half point favorites already shooting all the way up to seven Game total sitting steady at 54 and a half. So my stat on this matchup is actually in reference to the Lions defense because I didn't realize like just how bad they were this year. I, I knew they were awful, you know, dead last in points per game allowed. Like I knew that. But right now, the 2020 Lions are already one of just 13 teams in NFL history to allow their opponent to score 40 points on at least five separate occasions. If they give up another 40 burger, they're going to be alongside the 1962 New York Titans, which I never knew was a team until today. And the 1961 Oakland Raiders as the only teams to ever give up six such games truly been a disaster and even with Patricia leaving that has somehow made things even worse so look we all know Dalvin Cook even Kirk Cousins having a great year. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. These guys are studs. This reminds me of when the Titans played them a few weeks ago. Maybe it was the Jaguars. Either way, you see these matchups against just an awful defense. And, you know, looking at DFS perspective, like we see Dalvin Cook up there at 9,200. Obviously, Dalvin has been fantastic all year for fantasy and real life purposes. You want to get up to him if you if you can. But if you are not getting Dalvin Cook in your lineup, I mean, you should try everything in your power to get one of Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Because, again, the Vikings are going to be putting up points. I would bet 
bet a large sum of money they are going to clear 30 with relative ease this week. So again, if you're going to fade Dalvin Cook, who's surely going to be chalky, you know, say a prayer to football gods first because that's risky business. But just realize this Vikings offense, the passing game, has also been explosive this year. So this is one of these matchups where we know the Vikings are going to be, are be putting up points. 54 and a half point game total. Do not be afraid to go with one of these wide receivers if you find yourself not being able to squeeze in Dalvin Cook. Andrew, we got a Lions team that I think DeAndre Swift has been a positive note uh, throughout most of the year. Other than that, not much good to say about him. What do you got? Yeah, it's really DeAndre Swift as a potential, you know, bring back option if you want to stack the Minnesota Vikings side. I mean, look at this projected total. It's 54 and a half. And I'm looking at him like, are they banking on Stafford playing in this game? Or is it like, no, we're just going to see what we saw last week where... You know, you have the Buccaneers almost cover the point total on their own, score 47, and yet it hits the under because the Lions can only score seven points because of a kickoff return, I believe, a special teams touchdown. It's only in their <laughs> offense that's scored. It's got to be all about the Vikings here, like you said. So DeAndre Swift, again, Chase Daniel, if he gets the start, he's part of the cha- the captain checkdown club. 4.2 average depth of throw in week 16. So I expect that Swift is continuing to see looks in the passing game. Swift is just a good player. He's a good rookie running back. We saw the Vikings get shredded by Alvin Kamara, six touchdowns on Christmas. So again, that's not what you're going to expect from DeAndre Swift, but this Minnesota Vikings run defense is super leaky all across the board. They're not going to be able to throw the ball really effectively with Chase Daniel. You can't play Marvin Jones. You can't play Hawkinson if there's no Stafford. So really it's DeAndre Swift as a bring back option. And you don't necessarily need to force it in. You know, Swift isn't super cheap. And we've seen in times where the correlation doesn't always work. You don't always need to bring somebody back. So I don't hate the Swift, but Honestly, you don't really need to play any lines if, if Stafford's not out there. I think that's fair. But yeah, when Swift has been healthy this year, particularly as a receiver, very fun to watch for sure. Next matchup, we got the Falcons at the Buccaneers. Tampa opened up a seven and a half point favorites, down slightly to six and a half game total, holding steady at 50. So, you know, I've been talking about this these last few uh, weeks as it's really come to fruition, but truly everybody, the 2019 Chris Godwin, 2020 Calvin Ridley prophecy has come to fruition. You absolutely love it. Godwin last year averaged 19.7 PPR points per game. Ridley is at 19.4 right now. I would like to take this moment. I'm not cementing it, but I am nominating Deontay Johnson to be the 2021 version of this, you know, award thing we got going on. This just <laughs> galaxy brain, not galaxy, you know what I'm saying? Third year receiver that has flashed in the past and could have all kinds of newfound target share if Juju Smith-Schuster is not ultimately re-signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's what we're looking at for Deontay. And Deontay, it's it's so tough, man. I know we're supposed to be talking about the Falcons, but Deontay is one of these guys where you watch <laughs> him play and he has the ball in his hands, the routes, everything's good, but then you try to pull out a good efficiency stat or, you know, I'm not even talking about the drops, but you just look at his yards per target and he's down there with the five or six worst receivers in the league. And people say, well, yards per target isn't a great stat. Well, drops isn't a great stat. We need to come up with more great stats, apparently, to try to show that Deontay Johnson is a good receiver because I see it on film, but we do not see it in the statue. So that's my one pause here because Ridley, Goblin, these guys were putting up great efficiency numbers. Deontay, we haven't seen that. Either way, we will see if he can join this heralded group. I do think uh, in this game, so Ridley's really the only person we're uh, messing around with on this Falcons offense and look he just went 10 catches 163 yards and one score against them in week 15 I am a little hesitant he his price is jacked up so far right now to 8500 only Devontae Adams is more expensive I get it this dude was hovering around 7k though in early December I just think the price hike on DraftKings little too steep even though Ridley burnt these guys and I know the Buccaneers you know play so much man coverage and they can get toasted like a Ridley or buy someone like a Ridley like a Tyreek Hill uh, that is capable of putting up this sort of monster performance but 
Good, good pass rush. We've seen Matt Ryan fold against pressure. I think generally I'm going to be, you know, fading Ridley in this passing game. But as we've seen, that usually has not been a winning strategy. So be careful if you are going to take that route like I am planning on doing. Andrew, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We've been talking on this podcast for like the last two months about just wait, everyone. Here comes the blow performance. We finally gotten a couple in the past two weeks. So luckily I'm not going to have to, you know, be eating that crumb for the next uh, <laughs> six months into the offseason. I am happy that TB12 and company have been getting back on track. Are you confident in them keeping that going in week 17? Yeah, I think that they're going to continue to to roll in this spot against the Falcons. It's just a matter of, you know, you mentioned the teams at the top that could potentially rest starters. And when you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they actually are one of those teams that could potentially rest their starters. They can only change their playoff seating from fifth or sixth, which really doesn't make a difference. They're going to be playing on the road regardless, unless they were going to play the sixth or seventh seed in the NFC you know, in the NFC championship game, which is not going to happen. So they're going to play on the road regardless throughout the playoffs. And Bruce Arians has, you know, come out and said, all right, well, I'm not going to rest anybody, but this actually goes against something he actually had said earlier in the week when he was talking about Mike Evans, when he was talking about, Hey, we want we try to get Mike Evans, the thousand yards. They were trying to do it. And against the lions, that's what they were trying to do. That's why they were literally peppering him with targets. Like whether it was Blaine Gabbert, whether it was Tom Brady, it didn't matter. They were trying to get him a thousand. He didn't get it in that game. He's still 40 yards off. But Bruce Arians said specifically in that game. All right. So he was saying, he told reporters after the game, very confident we get the mic, the ball in this ball game. I was forcing it to him in the second half. Every time Gabbert had a chance, we were going to get the mic, hoping he'd get it today. And we wouldn't have to play him next week. Bruce Arians literally said that. And now he says again, oh, well, I'm not going to rest any of my starters. So, I am very lukewarm on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a DFS perspective. I think that ownership kind of might drive how I feel about it. If if everyone is on them, then okay. Or and everyone's believing Arians, okay, then I'm probably going to fade it because it makes a lot of sense. But if they're really low owned, I think I might go with Brady. I really like Mike Evans in the spot again. I think that he's going to be at least involved, at least in the beginning of the game, which might be enough. Maybe they'll just, just stick him in for a half and they'll go for 100 yards and two touchdowns and that's all you need. But that's just something I'm concerned about. I mean, dude, We've been through Bruce Arians, you know, coach narrative speak all season long with Ronald Jones, with Fournette, and like for him to just come out and say, oh yeah, no, everyone's going to play when clearly there's literally nothing to play for. And, and Brady's never been a guy that's, oh, I need to play. The offense absolutely dominated against the Lions. I think they have the momentum that they need. So that's kind of what I would say with that. I mean, and, and the running backs mean, I don't want to play them against the Falcons run defense, good run D, and, and we might see more of a committee now with Jones, Fournette, Vaughn, McCoy. What are your thoughts about, you know, with Arians? No, I think it's a great point. I'd be concerned, too. With that said, I like that he's trying to get Mike Evans that record. Mike Evans will become the first player ever to have at least 1,000 yards in each of their first seven seasons. Hey, man, go get it. But, yeah, hey, as we said all season, you know, we cannot <laughs> trust Bruce Arians. So, yeah, I would say generally fade this group. It does seem like a situation where they, you know, force feed Evans five targets to get him those extra 40 yards and then probably pull him early. I would say generally stay away from this game. We've seen the total, uh, I guess it's hovering around 50, but I wouldn't be shocked if we see that slide down as the week goes on. Next matchup, oh, man. A doozy. Jets of Patriots, New England, three-point favorites. Oh, Game total, 43 down to 39 and a half. So I was trying to come up with a stat to show how bad the Jets' passing game was and accidentally found one that fits both teams. So the Jets <laughs> have three games this season, only three, with over 200 passing yards as a team. 
So that also applies to Patriots, as I found out when I was doing this research. So Jets and Patriots, only three games with over 200 passing yards. They're, so failure to do so again would put them in a group with only four other offenses since 2010. The 2011 Broncos with Tim Tebow. The 2018 Cardinals with Josh Rosen. 2011 Jaguars with Blaine Gabbert. And the 2010 Panthers with Jimmy freaking Clausen. Just so brutal, man. And the fact that, like, okay, Cam is engineering that. I, I, we don't have many nice things to say about Cam as a passer this year, but at least he gives you something as a rusher. And strangely enough, I guess Sam Darnold has started to kind of do that for stretches as well. But man, like, you know, credit to the Jets for getting these two wins, but let's just get Adam Gase out of town and resume using a real-life offense. So shout out to my guy Chris Herndon scoring that uh, Week 16 touchdown. That was always the thesis of the play. Anyone that says otherwise <laughs> is a hater. Uh, nah, but just look, guys, nobody here. I do not want to touch this game in DFS, and I'm going to try to avoid having it on my television Sunday as well. Andrew, hit me with the Patriots. D, the Patriots, man. It's, it's, it's bad. Cam just can't throw the ball right now. It's, it's so bad. You know, the pass to Nikhil Harry that it just like, you know, it, it skipped to him. I'm just like, man. And then he makes so... a good throw real quick. He makes a good throw, Demir Bird, in the first oh, yeah. drive, and it hits him in the freaking head. Like, they, it's going both ways. I can't win. It's, yeah, it's bad. And again, Cam gets such bad flack for, you know, the passing touchdown statistic when realistically, look, he has 12 rushing touchdowns. Like, no other quarterback is even, like, near that, but nobody talks about that. And I understand. I'm not, I'm not here to defend Cam Newton. And again, I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so I like Cam Newton as the player. You know, I'm a big fan of his. And again, no, it hasn't been a great year for him. But to just kind of, you know, continue to bag on him from the passing when he, you know, I think tied a record for rushing touchdowns for a Patriots quarterback last night. It's just like, all right, guys, like, 12 rushing touchdowns. If he if he had just thrown those, like no one would care that Josh Allen has thrown more touchdowns at Gillette Stadium than Cam Newton does. But I, I digress. I, I think maybe we see Jared Stidham in this game. Again, I would like to see it just from a pass catcher's point of view. You know, you can just, there's more volume for the receivers in that aspect. I mean, I don't know. Bill Belichick seems to continue to, you know, back up Cam. And even after the game, he said it wasn't really Cam's fault. They just wanted to give Stidham some playing time because they were already going to lose the game. So... I mean, Jacoby Myers is interesting at 5K. He lit up the Jets last time he played him. 12 catches on 14 targets for 169 receiving yards. But like you said, this isn't really, this game's gross. I haven't really been playing any Patriots in DFS because they run the ball all the time. It just kills clock, kills, uh, you know, the point totals. And I mean, it's two teams that are gross. And honestly, I was afraid to check, you know, who was favored in this game because I was <laughs> like, oh my God, is it going to be a pick em? Like, what's the thing? And again, Patriots three-point favorites. But yeah, I don't feel great about it. Yeah, I mean, if they want to just, I guess, go with Stidham, why not? You're out of the playoffs anyway, but just realize, people, like, as bad as Cam has been as a passer, Stidham, look at any single passing <laughs> metric, and he is even marketably worse. So, yeah, enough of that game. Dolphins at Bills up next. Buffalo open as five-and-a-half-point favorites, down to one-and-a-half, and they're sitting at 43.5-point game total. So, truly, do not be shocked if the Bills, you know, trot Josh Allen out there for a quarter or two and then get him out of the game. But look at this Dolphins QB situation. I, 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 I've sent a few uh, ratings tweets in the last week or so I've been getting uh, get, getting pinged a little bit one of them was on uh, Saturday night with the Dolphins and I was just like what are the you know just asking what they're doing going from Tua to Fitzpatrick and everyone's like you know they're trying to win the game uh, Fitzpatrick gives them a better chance to win I could not agree more that has been the case all season long though so why do you go to Tua in the first place if you want to continue to win games like you're saying look Brian Flores has done a great job he's turned that defense around to one of the uh, league's top units Dolphins are playing hard I get it maybe there's a disconnect going on between him and the GM but 
Look, Fitzpatrick this year has a better PFF passing grade. He's averaging a full 1.5 extra yards per attempt. He's been more accurate. He's higher rated. He throws downfield more often. Two has a lower, lower turnover-worthy play rate. But then I hear Chan Gailey, their OC, come out and say that they're, he's literally implementing a different game plan to be more aggressive with Fitzpatrick because of the fourth quarter game situations and him being, quote-unquote, more comfortable with trusting his wide receivers. Like, I don't even know if we can necessarily reward Tua for the turnover-free play because clearly that's what partly got him benched last week. So, I don't I don't know, man. The Dolphins want to win. I respect that. But again, if that's the case, why did you ever make this move in the first place? Fitzpatrick was on a two-game winning streak entering the bye. So you say Tua gives you a better chance to win? I mean, come on. Like, I, I saw some reports saying, oh, Tua's confidence is fine. He understands this. Like, I, I, I don't know, man. This seems like a stretch to me. They're winning. I guess they're doing okay with the situation, but you got a top five pick coming from the Texans. Why not find out for sure if Tua is the answer or not, you know? I don't think the Dolphins are making any playoff noise. Maybe they think differently. The whole situation has been confusing to me. It's just inconsistent. That's the problem. So we'll see what happens here. I know they still have a chance to make the playoffs, and that'd be fun. But I'm I'm not just over, I'm not overly impressed with what they've done in their center. And because of that, we can't trust either quarterback in this spot. The only guy I'm a little bit interested in DFS is Devontae Parker, and that is if he plays because he's missed the last two weeks with a hamstring injury. But because of that, his price has gone down a lot. I mean, he was north of 6K. All the way down to 5,300 for this spot. Look, his last three games against the Bills, 55 yards and a score, 135 yards, and then 53 yards and a touchdown earlier this season. Like, he is one of these cornerback, uh, wide receivers, excuse me, even if a great cornerback like Tredavious White uh, chocks him across the field, which they've been hesitant to do uh, with him all season long for whatever reason. Parker can win. We've seen him do that really throughout his career. He's one of the best contested catch artists in the league. So, must win game for the Dolphins. We've seen him produce with Tua. We've seen him produce with Fitzpatrick. Devontae Parker at 5,300, pretty much the only guy I'm overly interested in in this offense. I guess maybe Miles Gaskin too. Let me check his price real quick. I mean, the guy does have a three down roll after after all we got like that, but 6,500 elevated just enough. Oh, yeah, more expensive than Zico Elliott. Wow. What, what, what a world we live in. <laughs> Devontae Parker, that's about it. Even then, a little bit lukewarm. Andrew, Bills, you know, like I said, maybe they rest their starters, but either way, just great job. Great job, Josh Allen. Great season. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been a really great season for Josh Allen. You know, he's been a top three quarterback basically and he's probably been more consistent than you know Kyler Murray started off real hot you know Russell Wilson started out real hot and you know Allen had a small dip you know in October but he's come out firing and he's totally destroyed you know the John Brown splits basically over the last couple weeks and and that's the cool thing too like he's gonna get John Brown back so that's something to really look forward to in the playoffs is look Gabriel Davis has been okay at, at times but I mean he had a massive drop you know the other day he's had drops and John Brown doesn't do that. John Brown is a better player at this time in his career than Gabriel Davis. So he really adds another element to this field. And using Gabriel Davis as a number four receiver, I think is really interesting. And then we're seeing Dawson Knox also like start to like get some run here as a tight end. He was dealing with, you know, COVID, I believe in the beginning of the season and concussion issues. And he was an interesting guy at the end of last year. I remember kind of writing him up as a, a deep sleeper and never really got a chance, but now he's actually kind of getting more involved in this offense. You know, Everyone in their personnel setting, in the 11 personnel, the three receivers, the tight end, everyone's getting involved. Really, it's just running backs that just don't really do much. And, I mean, that's okay because, you know, running the ball doesn't really help you win football. So, don't mind if they don't use the running backs as much. That's okay as long as they keep using feeding Stephon Diggs. You know, absolute elite wide receiver option. Past four weeks, he's fourth in target share, 32%. 13th in team air yard share, 37%. And it was funny, you know, watching the game last night or on Monday night. And you've seen J.C. Jackson, like, lock him down in one play. And then he kind of points his finger at him. He's like, all right, we'll see what you do. And then scores like three touchdowns later. I'm like, oh, my JC Jackson, he's okay. Like he's doing, he's holding his own a little bit here. And then 
obviously after that play was just all Stefan Diggs. So again, JC Jackson, you still got some time, buddy. You know, get better, but yeah, it's going to be a couple next seasons going up against Diggs every single or two times a year for Mr. JC Jackson. Other thing to note: so John Brown, he should come back. I, I think in Week 17. I don't know if they would like him to probably play a decent amount just to kind of get him back into the rhythm of playing and not just putting him out in the front of the playoffs. He's at 3.6K, same price as Gabriel Davis. So both of those guys are interesting depending on whichever one is just the starting number three wide receiver. I mean, the Dolphins, you know, they have good boundary corners, but they can definitely be beat deep. We saw Aguilar obviously have a huge game against the Dolphins last week. And so, yeah, I think with the Bills, honestly, I think that they're going to play their guys. I think that they're not going to be swayed by Big Ben, you know, getting you sitting down because I really think the Bills want to play at home no matter what, as long as they can. You know, the Bills Mafia type of narrative thing. And even when they first won the division, you know, the guy came out with the cigar and was like, you know, get ready. It's going to be cold. So I think that the Bills are going to want to play play for the number two seed, especially with the Steelers essentially throwing in the towel and being like, yeah, I know we're going to bench Big Ben. And honestly, that surprises me considering how bad the Steelers have played besides that one half of football over the past couple of weeks for them to just kind of be like, yeah, no, we're good. We're going to bench Big Ben. I don't know if I agree with that move. I guess the only reason we can kind of wrap your mind around it is the fact that they had they didn't get their bye week this year mm. because of the yep. whole uh, you know COVID debacle with the Ravens going on earlier. So maybe that's it. But we'll, we're going right in that next game anyway. So Steelers at Browns. Cleveland opened up as four point favorites. That is now up to nine and a half. Now that we know Mason Rudolph will likely be under center. Uh, game total forty one <laughs> up to forty three. Yeah, the Mason Rudolph Miles Garrett memes have been absolutely spectacular. <laughs> keep it up. Keep it up, Twitter. Keep it up. So yeah, this is a quote from Mike Tomlin on resting his starters. He said that this is no preseason game where we're playing backups playing players you know 54 75 to evaluate this is an nfl team that will go play minus ben and maybe another player or two so yeah it's going to be no ben i would say no hayward probably you know to it maybe hayden you know just some of their key defenders i don't know if like there's going to be any offensive starters like other than ben resting but either way man like this news came out today so because of that deontay and all these guys are all priced as if uh, big ben was in there so truly stay away i cannot (laughs) overstate how bad mason rudolph was for the entirety of the 2019 season i mean look the guy got hit in the head with a helmet you would think that would earn him you know some slack he was awful 229 Nine yards, two touchdowns against the Bengals, 251 yards, two touchdowns against the Dolphins. Those were his good performances. Otherwise, he was under 250 yards in every other game. Truly brutal. And I mean, that was with a run game that we at least saw do things for stretches. I mean, to your point, the Steelers have looked good for two quarters over the past like month pretty much. So now we're taking away the guy that was responsible for at least making those two good quarters happen. No. Fade everybody on the Steelers team, and you should take a long look at that Browns defense because we got revenge game narrative with Miles Garrett in that helmet. I am pumped to attack that. Andrew, what's going on with uh, a Browns team that was flying a little bit higher last week? We should give them some slack. You know, not easy to play without your wide receivers, but man, losing the Jets? Sheesh. Yeah, man. Yeah, Browns, DST 2.5K on DraftKings. Lock them in, baby. Yeah. Here we go. There we go. Wheels up for Miles Garrett. Absolutely love it. Come on, the revenge game narrative has been awful this year. Everyone, <laughs> no one has been able to hit on it. Everybody's busted, so we need the defensive players to step up here. Miles Garrett, we trust you to get the revenge game narrative <laughs> done for us. But honestly, you know, Mason Rudolph playing in this game actually gives me a massive confidence boost for this Browns offense because I was concerned more... With their offensive line having injuries, Wyatt Teller has been banged up, Jedrick Wills has banged up, and without those guys, they haven't been able to run the ball nearly as efficiently like they were, you know, right after Nick Chubb came back after their bye week. So 
Hopefully those guys come back. And now the fact that that we can almost guarantee that going to be playing with a lead in this game because of Mason Rudolph, whether turning the ball over, you're going to see short field position. So I really like Nick Chubb a lot more now at 7,600. Again, people might be just shooken off because, oh, it's Steelers defense. But look, the last two weeks, Giovanni Bernard, 22 fantasy points. Jonathan Taylor, 19 fantasy points. And Nick Chubb is, you know, he's better than both those guys. Like, Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the NFL, arguably the best running back. Again, he's averaging over five yards a carry, despite the fact that he, you know, he also is on pace to rush for 1,000 yards, despite missing a ton of games this year. So he wants to break that 1,000-yard mark. So I really like Nick Chubb a lot more now that Mason Rudolph is starting in this game, especially, you know, stacking him with the Cleveland Browns defense. I think is a really good strategy. I just really want to also have some of those offensive linemen back. Yeah. Next matchup, we got the Cowboys at the Giants. G-Men opened up as three and a half point favorites. That has swung all the way to Dallas. Uh, minus two and a half game total, 47 down to 45. So shout out Zico Elliott. Guy is, you know, just been the joke of Twitter for the better part of this post-DAC kind of Cowboys team. 11 forced missed tackles on rush attempts last week. That was the highest single game mark of the season. I've tried to make this point a few times, but... I think if Tony Pollard was on like, you know, 28, 29 other teams, we'd be having similar conversations about this guy needing to have more touches. It just so happens he's behind Zeke. So I get it. $90 million for Zeke Elliott. That was not a good investment. You could say that's one of the worst contracts in the entire league. And I would not disagree with you. Just realize Tony Pollard and Derrick Henry are the only RBs averaging four yards after contact per rush over the past two seasons. Both Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott are very good. And even if you want to say that Pollard's better, well, okay, but Zeke is still anyone's idea of a very good running back. He's had issues with the fumbles, but look at this offensive line. Who would be having success behind this line? Every freaking starter worth a damn has been sidelined for quite some time now. And, you know, just want to say Ezekiel Elliott, hey, Guy got overpaid. I get it. Why is everyone so angry that we got, you know, what, 25, 26 year old just making more money than he deserves? All running backs should be paid more. The only reason why running backs don't quote unquote matter is because the NFL decides to have a salary cap to what? Maintain competitive balance. Probably more because the owners are cheap and they don't want to spend more money than they have to so they can have this, you know, Fugazi salary cap to pretty much uh, unburden themselves from having to pay running backs market value if there was no salary cap it'd be like any other position and the best running backs would make more than freaking they are now i can tell you that much so it's it's just frustrating and it's you know running back you know anyone that's played football like you see like your best player is usually playing running back for the first 10 years of your life because they're touching the ball like the, the idea that they don't matter at all has just been so overstated i think it's more of just a ramification of fantasy football and the salary cap in general so let's let's chill out on those equal elliot slander a little bit still anyone's idea of a very good running back even if he is overpaid in the construct of this weird salary cap league that we all obsess over week in and week out during the fall and winter with that said Zeke 6400 on DraftKings he has literally never ever been cheaper so you know only needs 1043 yards to get to 2k we'll see if uh, you know the Cowboys try to push for that JK JK but you know with this matchup Giants good not great defense you know we do see Zeke getting his usual role hey 100 plus yards and a touchdown or two not the craziest thing and the Cowboys off offense that don't look now has actually been playing some good football recently so Zico Elliott 6400 never been cheaper I will be having some tournament exposure there Andrew man this Giants team just brutal to watch for the better part of the past month I know they've had quarterback injuries but man any hope here that they can turn things around I mean the Dallas defense <laughs> isn't very good so even though Dallas has turned a leaf you know turned a corner on the offensive side of the ball which I mean, we all kind of projected them to do eventually. Just we didn't expect it to just take this long. I mean, there's a lot of good weapons on the Dallas 
a lot of good receivers. Obviously, the running backs and Elliott obviously was like, hey, yeah, Tony Pollard's looking really good. I probably should play better and, and, you know, not lose my job to a backup. But anyway, again, the Giants, I mean, Wayne Gallman had was a nice story. I think Wayne Gallman just playing well this year is just a an advocate for Saquon Barkley to be confidently, you know, a top, you know, five pick next year. I think that he's going to be discounted because of his injury and he might he's going to go behind Cook. And he's going to go behind McCaffrey and Kamara, even though he went ahead of most of those guys this year. He's going to be discounted because of the injury. But, you know, you look at the stretch of Wayne Gallman had the season where he was an RB1 for about eight weeks. I mean, that gives me confidence that, hey, I don't really care about this offense. Like, Saquon Barkley can overcome the poor situation. That being said, I don't love Wayne Gallman. Again, he's 5.3K. I mean, just find the $300, play it for Zeke. Like, you don't you don't need – or you just, you know, find money to pay up for another running back. He's just – it doesn't matter, even though the Dallas' run defense isn't, isn't great. I mean, they've been splitting carries with Alfred Morris and Deion Lewis, so it's just too thin of a play for me to get behind. Darius Slayton is intriguing to me. It sucks because I played him last week, and he played so terribly against the Baltimore Ravens. He had a lot of opportunities. He had eight targets, and he's actually had a lot of targets the last three weeks. Eight targets, nine targets, eight targets. He leads the team in air yards over the past four weeks, and he's only at 4,000, 4.1K on DraftKings. And his best week of the year came against Dallas. Eight catches on 11 targets for 129 receiving yards. So, again, we would like to chase the air yards with some of these players, these boom-bust wide receivers. And a lot of times, you know, they aren't always the greatest players, but eventually they do hit. You know, DJ Chark had basically been at the top of, you know, an air model list for weeks and weeks and finally had a good game last week. Eventually it does come to fruition, especially now Golden Tate is hurt. Evan Ingram is also banged up. So it's a good matchup. Don't mind going back to Darius Slayton, 4.1K. He's cheap. And Daniel Jones has actually been, like, pretty decent, you know, with the deep ball this year. So, yeah, Darius Slayton is, is probably the only guy I'll consider. Don't laugh, people. Andrew's correct. They've actually been ranking at the top of the league all year in terms of catchable deep ball rate. They just don't do it very often because the Giants and the Jets, the only two offenses in the league, getting pressure on over 40% of their <laughs> dropbacks. So, hey, part of that certainly on Daniel Jones. But when he has that time, when he's decided to throw deep, ball usually does end up in the general proximity of the intended target. Next matchup, we got the Ravens at the Bengals. Baltimore sitting pretty as a 12.5 point favorite. Game total 43.5 up to 45. This Ravens rushing game, man, they're back to looking like just monsters. And I know the schedule's been soft, but whatever you want to say, man, this year, I mean, there's only been 13 players to average at least five yards per carry. And Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards are three of them. That's with a minimum 100 carry threshold. So I got to thinking, like, just how good has this Ravens rushing attack been with Lamar Jackson? Well, Andrew, they have rushed for 100 yards in 38 consecutive regular season games. That is the second longest streak in NFL history behind only the Steelers, who ripped off 43 straight games from 1974 to 1977 and back in the Franco Harris uh, d- days and Rocky Blyer, I believe it was the other beast they had back there. So, you know, truly like next level stuff from this offense. Now, if you want to get technical in that uh, Chargers loss they had in uh, Lamar's first year, they did go under 100 yards in the playoff game. But either way, this run game is firing on all cylinders. And the Ravens offense, I don't see, you know, the Bengals being the type of unit to really take away this momentum they built. From a DFS perspective, I think we're finally seeing all right so we finally see Mark Andrews and you know Marquise Brown get back to looking like the legit top two targets that they were for most of 2019 and what we were really hoping they would be uh, in the 2020 so just realize that you know Lamar he's the most expensive quarterback at 8,000 but those are his clear-cut top two pass catchers so if we just look at stacks not looking at the quarterback price I mean Lamar with Hollywood and Andrews cost 19,700 on DraftKings like Kirk Cousins 
Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, that's costing you more than 21K. Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, that's costing you over 20K. Like, because Lamar's stacking partners are so cheap, it's actually not at all, like, unreasonable to get up to him, even though he is himself the most expensive quarterback. So, obviously, the rushing floor is outrageous. He's had uh, more than 10 rush attempts in all but one game since their, I believe, week seven bye. And the one game he did, and he was still at nine. So, we know we're getting the rush attempts. We've seen some progression through the air. Not the defense I'm worried about. I love Lamar Hollywood. Andrew Stacks tournaments, man. I've been I've been messing around with the cash game lineup too much, but uh, I really do think uh, these guys. Well, I won't say can't miss stack, but certainly when I feel good about, and it's much cheaper than I think people are giving it credit for with how much Lamar costs. Andrew, I've said a lot of mean things about Brandon Allen and this post-Burrow Bengals offense. They looked pretty good last week. It was against the Houston Texans, but credit where credit is due. Do you see anything resembling an encore? Yeah. So the thing with uh, with a Mister Brandon Allen was. This is something I always try to remember when I, you know, play defenses, you know, trying to pay them in DSTs on in DFS, you know, looking for defenses. And I was stupid and I played the Texans defense because I thought, oh, you know, Brandon Allen, he sucks. I'll just play defense. And the thing is, like, your defense has to get pressure on quarterback. Like, if they can't generate any pressure, it doesn't matter who they are that's throwing behind them because they're going to find open guys, especially if the defense can't cover. And that's exactly what happened with the Texans defense last week. They... We're not putting any pressure on Brandon Allen at all. He was the least pressure quarterback in the entire Week 16 main slate. And of all the teams, he was the least pressure quarterback, and that's why he was able to throw for almost 400 passing yards and absolutely shred the Texans' defense. And again, he's got some good receivers. He's got T. Higgins. Uh, yeah, he's got T. Higgins. So, <laughs> so he's. I mean, that's the thing. So, again, I'm not buying into this Brandon Allen, you know, resurgence in any way, shape, or form. Again, I really like T. Higgins a lot. But even against the Ravens, you know, they should be getting back some of their primary cornerbacks. Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters should be coming back, which obviously decreases the upside for T. Higgins. He's only 5K and he had 99 receiving yards last week. So I don't hate him because he's not really like he's not a super expensive player. But I think that he probably is the most desirable bring back option. Like you mentioned, if you are stacking the game on the other side with Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, if you want to do a full four man stack, I think that it makes sense to go with T. Higgins because look. I mean, he's shown that he can actually produce in a lot of, you know, even in bad matchups. I mean, the first matchup against the Ravens, he had four, he caught four passes for 62 yards. So not a huge game. That was with Joe Burrow under center. So again, I'm not crazy about this game in terms of the species on the Bengals side. So, cause I think that we could just see the Ravens just totally just overwhelm Brandon Allen and company. Yeah, and T. Higgins, lest we forget, had a fumble return to the house against Ohio State last year that inexplicably was ruled an incomplete pass. I'm not so bitter. Let's go Buckeyes take down Clemson. That is that for me, though. Quick shout out to our sponsors as I get my Buckeye homerism out of the way. All first-time depositors on Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge and subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Next matchup, we got the Jaguars at the Colts. Remember, Gardner Minshew knocked off the Colts in week one, ruined so many of our uh, survivor leagues out there before they could even get going. Uh, total, spreads Indy 12.5 up to 14.5. Game total sitting at 49. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm not touching anyone on this Jaguars offense. Like, Glennon, Glennon has been fine. He's throwing downfield, but the problem is he's like spreading it around. So, like, we're not even getting 
even if one of our guys scores, like, you know, LaVisca and Chark did last week, they both only had seven targets. So it's just tough. I would say, though, man, now that it look, does look like, you know, with all, you know, certainty that Trevor Lawrence will be a member of the Jaguars next season. Hey, man, LaVisca, Chanel, and DJ Chark, that's a pretty solid top two pass catchers on the outside. I mean, Chanel hasn't had a huge year, but he's battled some injuries and he's shown enough, I think, after the catch uh, to feel good about him potentially being even healthier uh, in 2020 and beyond. You remember, he was someone that had to go through offseason surgery and, again, has been banged up throughout the year as well. So, you know, Visca 4,200, Chark 4,900. It was an easier matchup maybe, but, again, no condensed targets. The Colts have been awesome all year at just, you know, contesting pretty much everything. And, hey, you know, I was expecting, you know, Xavier Rhodes and some of these other guys to really fall off hard after a, you know, after a really strong start to the season. Credit to them. They've haven't. They've kept it up. When you have DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard, truly elite difference makers in there, can certainly help make up for everyone else around. Andrew, Colts, they need this one, and you would imagine a lot of the offense will continue to go through Jonathan Taylor. It's Jonathan Taylor, lock button week in DFS. His price only went up $100 on DraftKings, which really doesn't make any sense because he scored 17-plus fantasy points for the third consecutive week, saw 57% snap share for the third consecutive week plus. And the split with Naeem Hines, yes, it's there, but it's I think it's being overstated a little bit. You know, we look at like Dobbins and Edwards, like that is really more of a 1A, 1B situation where their running backs are carrying the ball. The Ravens run the ball so much that both guys can see around double-digit carries. But look, I mean, it's more and more becoming Taylor's backfield and Hines is being more and more slowly phased out of the offense. Again, they're using him more in the pass-catching work, which is fine, but Taylor still sees pass-catching work as well because Phil Rivers just absolutely loves targeting the running back out of the backfield. So, I mean, Taylor could have had a much bigger game against the Steelers because he did all of his damage in the first half. And basically, the, the Colts couldn't get a first down, so they had no chance to any to maintain any drives in the second half. I mean, they were completely stalled out. They got outscored 21-3. to So Taylor's, you know, his game from last week, I think, could have been a lot better. And look, he's playing the Jacks. Like, they've allowed the most rushing yards since week 12. And Jonathan Taylor had a productive game his, as a, in his first game ever against them in week one. And that's when he caught like six passes when we were like, oh my God, Jonathan Taylor involved in the passing game? This is a miracle. So for me, it seems really easy. I think that he's a guy you want to build as a core piece. I think he's obviously a great cash play. And I'm not really concerned about, you know, Hines being worked in. Again, you know, vultures happen. It happens. You know, running backs randomly come in and steal touchdowns. But I mean, it's, it's really clear that Taylor is the lead back here. And in a must-win game for the Colts, it makes more sense that they feed their best player to get them into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, the important thing is Jordan Wilkins hasn't played an offensive snap in yeah. two weeks. We can live with two back committees, which this has turned into. And credit Jonathan Taylor, only nine missed tackles on carries, forced in weeks one through 10, 28 in weeks 11 through 16. The guy has been getting more opportunity and he has been making the most of it. Next matchup. We're actually, I actually do have one more under the radar target here for the, the DFS, DFS degenerates. So Jack Doyle, right? Jacksonville Jaguars have allowed the most receiving touchdowns to tight ends this season. And it's it's really hard trying to figure out, okay, there's like three tight ends that the Colts use. But Jack Doyle, 3K, he saw season-high six targets last week, two of which came in the red zone. He's been running the most routes inside the 20-yard line when the Colts are in there. And I think that gives him the best chance to find the end zone. Look, the Colts are going to score in this game. We saw last week Jimmy Graham caught two touchdowns. Cole Komet almost caught a third touchdown. You know, this team bleeds fantasy points to tight ends. So if you're going to play Colts, if you're going to stack this game up, I don't know. I think Jack Doyle is an interesting dart throw. Titans at Texans. We got Tennessee <laughs> opening up as, I'm sorry, I don't hate Jack Doyle, but three tight ends, man. It's just tough. 
Titans at Texans, Tennessee, four and a half point favorites, up to seven and a half. Game total sitting high at 56 points. So, Derrick Henry didn't get the massive performance uh, against the Packers. I mean, obviously, nobody was doing much in that contest. Still in reach of the 2K mark, though. Needs 223 rushing yards to join Eric Dickerson, Adrian Peterson, Jamal Lewis, Barry Sanders, Terrell Davis, Chris Johnson, and OJ Simpson as the only players in NFL history with 2,000 rushing yards in a single season. Couldn't ask for a better matchup. We've been talking about this for a month, just how great this final stretch has been been. Texans are a bottom six defense and explosive run play rate and uh, rushing yards allowed before contact per carry and they are dead last in rushing yards allowed per carry and after contact. So I mean look no further than his last two games against these guys. He went for 212 yards and two touchdowns and then last season in the week 17 211 yards and three touchdowns against the Titans AFC South rivals. So you know again this reminds me of the Viking spot and like Dalvin Cook. Like you know we can talk Kamara, Cook, Henry which one is best and hey you know you're probably going to want to have some uh, sort of combination or just kind of go a little bit on off with those guys in tournaments but just realize like the Vikings facing the Lions I think the Titans versus the Texans falls in the same category where this offense is not getting shut down now will all the touchdowns go to the running back maybe but if you don't have that running back we need to take a long look at both AJ Brown 7200 and particularly Corey Davis at 6200 coming off that goose egg look Corey Davis before that goose egg had gone for 100 plus in a touchdown two of his previous three games we've seen more than enough evidence to feel good about Davis really being the 1B wide receiver in this offense. So look, AJB wide receiver one season, we know that's always here and he has as good a chance of anyone as popping off this week. But Corey Davis, probably going to have you know some uh, lower ownership with everyone still reeling about him letting them down in week 16. This is a sort of get right matchup that we can expect. Tannehill, AJ Brown, Corey Davis, and likely Derrick Henry uh, to all go off. So hey, maybe they all get together. Again, this is a sort of spot, 56 point game total that you want to have all the exposure to even if you find yourself not able to get all the way up there to the big dog as high price as he is andrew texans deshaun watson sounds like he avoided major injury which thank god man because it's it's been a tough uh tough season for everyone other than watson which i know it's been tough for him but the guy's a baller deshaun watson is an absolute baller and i cannot <laughs> wait to draft him next year because he's, he might fall behind some of these other quarterbacks he'll probably get drafted behind josh allen and i can't say that that's wrong i don't know if i'm gonna have them ranked that way but deshaun watson look even without will flow these last four weeks He's been just as good in terms of fantasy points per game. He's still averaging 23 fantasy points per game with without Fuller. And that just goes to show you, the guy just gets it done no matter what. They don't give him any protection. They don't give him any receivers. They take away everything. And all he does is continue to produce fantasy points and continue to be the offense for the Texans. I mean, this team, I don't know how many wins this team would have. I don't think they'd have any wins. I think this team would be like the Jets, like, 0-16, worse than the Jaguars without Deshaun Watson. And it just it just pains me that they don't have a first-round pick, they don't have a second-round pick, and I don't know how they're supposed to help this guy. Hopefully they can sign Allen Robinson, get Will Fuller back, get Hunter Henry, just like just get all these guys going. I don't know where they're going to get the money from, but we'll, we'll find a way. But Deshaun Watson, I mean, you got to love him in this spot. And I think you mentioned, you know, going like Derrick Henry versus Dalvin Cook, and I think that for me, just looking at the game flow or kind of looking at how the games could flow – I know that the Texans are going to actually be able to put up points in this game with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. I can't say the same with Lions Chase Daniel led, where we could see a situation where, okay, the Buccan- just like the Buccaneers destroyed the Lions, you know, Leonard Fournette didn't really do much because they were just killing them and they just put all the backups in. And we could see that potentially happen. The Vikings don't have anything to play for, so does it make sense to give Dalvin Cook 35 carries when they're up to 30 points? I don't know. So maybe Derek Henry, you know, the Titans have to win this game to have a chance of getting the playoffs. Again, even if they lose, they still have a chance, but they want to win and get in and take care of business 
They obviously have shown that they've wanted to feed Derrick Henry before Week 17 last year. They obviously fed him, so they're going to feed him to get into the postseason. The Texans obviously can't stop the run, so I think I do prefer to Henry just a little bit because of the game flow scenario. But yeah, I mean Deshaun Watson, he he posted 35 fantasy points the last time he played the Tennessee Titans. So I think this game has potential to be a shootout. And hey. J.J. Watt put this team on freaking blast. So they need to show up, at least on offense. I could care less what they do on defense. Hopefully they don't do anything. I mean, it would be the shocker of the century to see, like, J.J. Watt and the stout Texans defense just come out and somehow shut down this Tennessee Titans offense. I mean, kudos to J.J. Watt if he makes it happen. But that's not something I'm going to bank on. I think that Deshaun Watson to Brandon Cooks is a great stack to go in DFS. I mean, Brandon Cooks doesn't really gain a lot of ownership just because... The name brand, you know, he's not a really popular player, but I mean, he's been really good, you know, operating as the team's number one wide receiver. And even though his targets haven't been crazy, it's been the air yards that he's seen a lot of. He's dominated the air yards without Will Fuller in the lineup. So I like those guys. And, and David Johnson, I mean, I think as long as Duke Johnson doesn't play, I think we can have a lot of confidence that David Johnson can continue to keep delivering, whether it's in the passing game, because he looks explosive. You know, we had a big run last week, and that's something we haven't really come to know from David Johnson, at least in the year of 2020, where the year has not been kind to these dusty old vets. Yeah, it's interesting. I like everything you said about, in particular, this being a better game stack for sure than Vikings-Lions. And, you know, kind of like what I was talking about with Lamar Jackson being able, you know, he's expensive, but you can make the cheaper stacks. That applies to Deshaun Watson as well because, you know, Cooks, even, you know, number one wide receiver in the 6K range, that's affordable. And then Kiki's at 5,500. Chad Hansen, I know he only had one catch last week, but he still had the near every down roll. He's all the way down close to 4,000. So like that call a lot. Again, I believe that is the highest game total of the week between Texans and Titans. Make sure you have plenty of exposure to that it's one. Also it's also in the dome too so Ooh. i mean the dome i mean look man the brandon allen dome experience was great so maybe we should target these dome games <laughs> speed, speed kills andrew speed kills cardinals at rams we do not have a lineup with jared Goff's jared Goff's sideline with the thumb injury and kyler banged up and uncertain as well due to it's an ankle with kyler uh it's a lower leg injury i don't know exactly what it is but yeah. Okay. I, yeah. It's, it's just it's just being said as a lower leg injury right now. Whatever it is, look, people. Kyler has been amazing this year. He's a fantasy QB one, averaging twenty five fantasy points per game, narrowly edging Patrick Mahomes. You can make an argument that he is the most improved player of the season from a fantasy perspective. And I, I did an article. You can check it out on PFF.com. My twenty twenty uh, PFF uh, fantasy football award winners. And you know, looking at just the most improved player, I ended up giving it to Mike Davis. He had an increase of plus uh, twelve point eight PPR points in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. But you know, that was due to him getting a large workload he didn't have before. Kyler has increased his uh, fantasy points per game by 7.2 from 2019 to 2020. I mean, that's the highest mark among all QBs, and it trails only Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon, among other uh, positional players as well. So, legit. Kyler, even though we know he can you know, improve so much more as a passer, we have seen him now bring legit Lamar Jackson-level rushing upside to the equation, and I think we've still seen enough from him as a passer. I know that better days are going to be ahead to more receivers than just DeAndre Hopkins. So, Kyler, he Huge year two bump. Think even more good days are going to be ahead in year three and beyond. I would just say that on this one, you know, facing the Rams, this game total is going to be lucky to break 40 with the potential for two backup quarterbacks to be out there in this must-win game. I would just say, though, what's the one trend we have seen in the second half of the year when Kyler was playing banged up? Kenyon Drake getting more goal line rushes, getting more targets, sitting there at just 5,400. Look, it's, you know, Aaron Donald and company, they're never an easy spot for anybody. But just realize, particularly if Kyler's going to be out, man, I can see Drake flirting with 20-plus touches 
is no problem at all. Hey, not the most ideal environment. I don't think you need to run it back by any stretch. But hey, Kenyon Drake, 5,400. If you need to fill out a lineup in tournaments, certainly think there are worse options to do so. Andrew, man, injuries all over the place in LA. What, what are your thoughts on a former AAF or John Wolford and company? John Wolford, the the next mobile quarterback that's going to entrench us with his greatness at a sub 5K price on DraftKings. Look, this has worked. This strategy has worked playing these inexperienced, you know, running quarterbacks that are priced really cheap because they get points running on the ground. And look, that's what John Wolford has done so far throughout his football career. He's averaged 20 yards rushing per game in the AF in 2019, and he rushed for over 1,800 yards when you kind of subtract the yardage taken away from sacks in his four-year college career at Wake Forest from 2014 to 2017. So, our, again, our guy, PFF's own Sosa K, absolutely loves John Wolford. You know, he's just peppering the Slack channel with John Wolford's statistics and how great he is. But, again, undrafted guy. I don't expect him to come in here and just, like, light up the Arizona Cardinals defense. But... To be honest, I didn't expect C.J. Beathard to come in and light up the Arizona Cardinals defense last week, and that's exactly what he did. So we have an offensive play caller in Sean McVay that understands, you know, the offensive concept. He understands that John Walford adds another element to the Rams' offense with his mobile upside with bootlegs and moving on the run that Jared Goff just doesn't possess. Like, he can do some different things with his offense, and I think that he's going to be able to deliver, you know, at least 15 fantasy points, which is what you that's all really you need to have him pay off a 4.9 K salary. And if you were to combine him with a really cheap Malcolm Brown, who looks like he's going to be the only potential only running back in show. I mean, the Cardinals have been terrible against the run last four weeks. They've allowed the fifth most fantasy points to the running back position. Like, those are your two salary savers. That lets you get up to play to Derrick Henry, to play Devontae Adams, to play all these absolute studs when you have a quarterback running back pairing that's less than 9K that you can stack together. That has a good matchup. And look, the Rams have owned the Cardinals in, under the Cliff Kingsbury era. In the three matchups that they've played, LA has yet to score fewer than 30 points and or to put up less than 400 yards of offense. So... I kind of believe in Sean McVay in this particular spot to get it done with John Walford and potentially Malcolm Brown. I know Cam Akers is rumored to potentially come back. So again, that would kind of, you know, get me off the Malcolm Brown bandwagon. But I mean, if he's literally the only running back they have. We know he catches passes. We know they use him at the goal line. And I mean, I really don't hate the play, especially as a salary saving move. I mean, the Cardinals defense isn't that good. Yeah, particularly Malcolm Brown, because, I mean, Akers, he only missed one game with a high ankle sprain. Like, even if he's active, because they now need a backup running back, like, I don't think it's any sort of a given that he would work ahead of Malcolm Brown. It's been tough to get that all year, and now we have, you know, a potentially severely reduced version of him. Yes, I like the Malcolm Brown call. You know, we'll see what John Walford. I'm, I'm always rooting for the uh, AAFers, XFLers, <laughs> and, you know, we saw Garrett Gilbert do some good things, so we will see what happens there. Saints at Panthers, uh, New Orleans sitting at six and a half point favorites, game total 51 down to 48 you know Alvin Kamara who cares what he does in this one after all those fantasy championships he won in week 16 the only guys that had a more productive fantasy championship just a week 16 performance in terms of total PPR points 1995 Jerry Rice and 1963 Art Powell so I'm not sure how many of you out there benefited from Art's big game back in the 60s but I know plenty did from Kamara this last Sunday so just the third non-QB in NFL history to count for six scores in a single game look he's not going to score six touchdowns again I'm going to go on a limb and say that but don't be surprised to see an encore performance of sorts against the Panthers 30th ranked defense and yards after contact allow per carry look you know Kamara always in play in cash or tournaments and I, I would 
I still agree with you here with, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of lining up as Derrick Henry just in terms of him versus Cook versus Kamara in terms of their projected game script and reality that, you know, if he busts one early, they're going to be trying to get him that 2K. Uh, no questions asked. But I would just say you look at, you know, cheaper cost-saving options. Marquez Callaway, everybody, led the Saints with a 56% snap rate last week. We've seen him flash a couple times throughout the year. He's not bad at all. I know there's some, you know, deeper dynasty um, people, uh, notably Matt Kelly from uh, Player Profiler, awesome stuff there, Podfather. Uh, but, you know, people like Marquez Callaway, and I don't think he's bad by any stretch. So, let all wide receivers 56% snap rate, and he is the cheapest wide receiver on the Saints for whatever reason, not 3,200. So, Marquez Callaway might be, you know, not a for sure thing free square. He could certainly goose egg. I don't know if the Saints are going to have to, you know, keep their foot on the gas for any extended stretch of time in this one. But 3,200, you know, you need guys like him to kind of make some of these lineups work when you want to get up to players like Kamara. So, do not sleep on Marquez Callaway as a cost-saving option at wide receiver. Andrew, man. Panthers offense, we got Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, you know, Davis McCaffrey. Teddy, I, I wish you would have done more this year. It's been a little bit rough. Do you think they can uh, put forward a good effort here in Week 17 or just more meh? I think it's probably going to be more meh. Mm. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with Teddy Bridgewater. He started out the season like pretty well, but he kind of faltered off a little bit. And, I mean, it's not to blame the weapons. I mean, he did have two, like, arguably some of his best games were with McCaffrey. And you can't, like knock him for I mean McCaffrey just so involved in the passing game he can inflate a quarterback's numbers so I think his numbers would have looked a lot better this year if he had McCaffrey you know on the receiving end of all the Mike Davis receptions but for me the only player I really want in this game is DJ Moore you know you look at him over the past you know six weeks basically since week 10 and he is the clear leader in target share he's the clear leader in air yards and that's also kind of like removing the game where he was out because of COVID so Again, if you include that game, the things get kind of mixed up because really the target share across the board has basically been flat all year. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and even Curtis Samuel now after a slow start for him, now that he's like fully involved in the offense, it's been really hard to pinpoint, hey, this is the Carolina receiver you want, especially with DraftKings the way they have salary. They're all in the same range. Curtis Samuel's at 5.3, Robbie Anderson's at 5.6, and DJ Moore's at 5.7. But I think that the lean is still on DJ Moore. He offers the most explosive upside because he's the one that's being used downfield. Like I mentioned, he's seeing significantly more terms of air yards in the offense. So I really like DJ Moore. He had a really good game against the Saints. He got behind the defense for a couple big plays when they played earlier in the season. So I think that Moore is the payup option for the Panthers. And then Curtis Samuel at the end. So you can't find the salary for DJ Moore. Curtis Samuel paying a little bit down. I mean, he's basically produced the same amount of fantasy points, expected fantasy points as Robbie Anderson since week 10. 14 expected fantasy points per game. I mean, last week he had 160 total yards from scrimmage because he had seven carries. So if you're getting a receiver that's being that heavily used in the running game along with the passing game, I mean, he offers another element that, you know, basically no other receiver can offer. You know, no other receiver is going to see five carries in a game except potentially Curtis Samuel in this spot. Curtis Samuel, 24 years old. Everyone wrote him off after a Kyle Allen-induced disaster in 2019. This dude would be coming off a 2,000-yard season. I'm only exaggerating by a little bit with even an ounce of competent quarterback play from last year. But I digress. Next matchup, we got the Packers at the Bears. Green Bay sitting as five-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total of 49 is up to 50-and-a-half. Aaron Rodgers is officially having a career-best year in terms of PFF passing grade and adjusted completion rate. Just insane man like 
you know, this was one of my misses in the preseason, but my rationale was pretty simple. It was that the Packers added nobody. The only receiver of substance that they added in the offseason was Devin Funches, who opted out before anything could happen. And, you know, as much as we can all sit here and say, oh, it's Aaron Rodgers, we knew this was going to happen, you just look at any stat you want from 2011 to 2015 compared to 16 to 19, two completely different quarterbacks. And, hey, you know, it turns out when you have Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and that mind melt going on, you don't really need another wide receiver to just put up absolutely ridiculous numbers so you know what second year in the system probably should pay a little more attention to that and the reality as Aaron Rodgers has pointed out himself even a down year for him is a career year for most other quarterbacks so whatever it is we have just seen him display absolutely mesmerizing efficiency in pretty much everything and really downfield has been particularly amazing since 2010 we've only had four QBs post you know a basically perfect uh, PFF passing grade on ball so at least 20 yards downfield 99.9 those four QBs 2016 MVP Matt Ryan 2015 Ben Roethlisberger 2011 Aaron Rodgers, the previous best version of himself, and now Aaron Rodgers in 2020. So no Chiefs on this slate, uh, you know, with them sitting out. So, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Robert Tunyon stack, you know, not you're not going to find too many more concentrated options in a high-scoring offense like them. The Bears have been relatively solid against Rodgers, you know, over the past years. But, hey, you know, when they played earlier this year, got to take the foot off the gas in the third quarter, nearly had 211 yards and four touchdowns to show for it. So, uh, you know, we'll see what this projected ownership looks like. But if there's any reason why these guys are going on the radar do not be surprised if Rodgers does everything in his power to put a cherry on top of this likely MVP performance I had never seen someone just constantly pass the ball like this inside the five and ten yard line fishing for touchdowns take advantage of it in fantasy land Andrew Mitch Trubisky they're putting up points we might get a contract probably not good for the long-term viability of the Bears but hey at least in week 17 can the Bears keep it up it's going to be tough because the Packers definitely present a much tougher threat on defense than the last couple of teams they played, the Vikings, Jaguars, Lions, basically teams that aren't going to be sniffing the playoffs in any way, shape, or form this season. But you go back to the first matchup when Mitchell Trubisky started, it was against the Packers, and the Packers game was actually kind of the kickoff of the Bears' offensive run that they've gone. They didn't win that game. They gave up over 40 points, but it kind of started, it jump-started this offense with Mitchell Trubisky under center. And specifically, it's been, you know, Allen Robinson, David Montgomery. David Montgomery is the one that's obviously done the most with the opportunities. He leads all fantasy running backs in terms of fantasy points scored over the past five weeks. But it's been a little bit over expectation. He's made a lot of big plays here and there, and he's obviously had the opportunities. But for me, I really like Allen Robinson in the spot. And again, they're both at 7.7K, and I think that, Again, we're talking about game flow. We have to kind of project, okay, what are we going to think is going to happen in this game? And look, I don't think that the Bears are going to be playing with a lead. And I think that ultimately hurts Montgomery's ceiling. He may not score that many touchdowns. So I think that for me, I want Allen Robinson over David Montgomery, even though I know Montgomery's involved in the passing game. Allen Robinson just, the dude is seeing absolutely insane usage. And if he can just come down with one of these like 10,000 end zone targets that he's getting, he is going to absolutely smash. I mean, we saw it. Devonta Adams got three touchdowns. Devon Diggs got three touchdowns. Like, the three-touchdown game is there for the taking for Allen Robinson. Since week 12, he ranks second in expected fantasy points per game, and he's performed under expectation because of that. His 33% target share is second in the NFL. 47, 47% team air yard share, second in the NFL. Like, he is absolutely being peppered with all the high-value touches and targets that you could possibly want for a wide receiver, but he just hasn't all collected it and put it into one game yet this season. But his only only multi-touchdown game this year came against the Packers in Week 10, and he's actually dominated 
Jerry Alexander in the past. So I'm not afraid of the matchup whatsoever. And if he's low-owned, especially if Montgomery comes in really chalky, I think Allen Robinson is like the perfect pivot play because I think that this game has a more potential to be a shootout with a high-powered offense on the other side as opposed to, okay, we can just give it to David Montgomery, you know, 25 times. I don't anticipate that happening. And the Packers, you know, give him due credit. They've been better against running backs the last couple of weeks. Over the past four weeks, they've had the second-fewest fantasy points to running backs, and they've faced some decent guys, you know, Miles Sanders, Mike Davis, DeAndre Swift, and Derrick Henry, not, you know, Joe Schmoes of, of running backs. Yeah, I, I'm, I think I missed this when this phrase kind of came to fruition in the fantasy land, but I'm loving prayer yards as the new, like, alternative oh, yeah. to air yards when we got a bad quarterback. <laughs> I think that's kind of what we're seeing here to some extent because through 16 weeks, Trubisky has completed four of 29 passes thrown 20 yards downfield. It's 39 PFF grade. The next worst quarterback is Goff at 62. Like, it's been bad. Everyone, hey, you know, he's turning it around to some extent. But uh, to your point, Allen Robinson, Dave Montgomery, still the only true, somewhat sure things in the Bears' offense. Four more matchups. Thank you for sticking with us, as always, everybody. We have the Chargers at the Chiefs. LA sitting as three and a half point favorites with the news that Mahomes and company will not be out there. Game total at 44. So, Justin Herbert was my selection for PFF's fantasy rookie of the year. I understand James Robinson, Justin Jefferson had absolutely spectacular years. Even Brandon Ayuk, when you just look at the grand scheme of things, had a super great year. But we've still seen a handful of other players at those positions have the same, if not better, years. Justin Herbert became just the fourth rookie QB, here he is right now, the fourth rookie QB in NFL history to average at least 20 fantasy points per game. And this dude's thrown for 300 yards and or counted for three scores in 11 of 14 starts. The only quarterbacks we have seen post better fantasy production. 2017 Deshaun Watson, 2012 RG3 and 2011 Cam Newton. So truly, 2020 Justin Herbert has been that great, particularly in terms of fantasy. The game's evolving a little bit. I get it. I'm not saying he's been the best rookie quarterback ever or putting him in that conversation. But again, future is bright for Herbert and this Los Angeles Chargers offense as a whole. Hey, I mean, without Mahomes there, he should certainly be able to air it out. It's not really this sort of back and forth shootout I think that we would like to kind of get an upper range uh, game in his outcomes. But I do think we can still take parts of this passing game. And again, I mentioned before uh, Marquez... Uh, Callaway, I think his name was. Uh, he's, he's a good uh, cheaper option at 3200 but Jalen Guyton at 3400 is another option because I don't know what where this whole divide between him and Tyron Johnson, who's at 4000 has really come from. But look, over the past three weeks when they've both been playing, Tyron has 15 targets and 142 yards. Guyton has 14 targets and 142 yards. Tyron's gotten the touchdowns, but again, it's not, you know, the disparity is hardly $600 like DraftKings has it right now. Love Mike Williams at 5K versus straight back, particularly if Keenan Allen remains sideline and we get that condensed true number one target share. So Mike Williams, 5K. I think Guyton is a solid, you know, just cheaper dart throw you can put out there. And, you know, don't be afraid. Justin Herbert's not someone I'm prioritizing this week. But again, the guy's been nothing short of excellent all season long. So would hardly be shocked if he puts a nice little cherry on top of this great season. Andrew, you got anything on the Chiefs, man? It just seems like a situation where we don't know who they're going to be playing. Yeah, that's kind of the case here. We, we're not sure. I mean, they said that, oh, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to play for a little bit. We're going to see Chad Henney in that quarterback. And for me, I guess potentially you could see a running back play here. I don't know who the starting running back. So it's, it's weird because Daryl Williams was like the de facto starter last week because he played more than Le'Veon Bell. So do they start Le'Veon Bell because Daryl Williams is the starter and they rest him? Or So it depends on how that plays out. And Ultimately, for a salary standpoint, I mean, Le'Veon Bell's, you know, way more expensive than Daryl Williams. So even if Le'Veon Bell is like the is actually going to play, like I don't want to play him at his price. Daryl Williams would be interesting, at least at 4.8K as a potential punt play if we don't get Malcolm Brown um, with Cam Akers as an option. And 
Look, I mean, McCole Hardman is interesting because we know that if he runs, we've never seen him actually play like a full snap share. Like we've never actually seen him really play like a full game and he's not priced that expensive. He's at 4.2. He's actually cheaper than Demarcus Robinson. I've seen enough Demarcus Robinson in my life to know that I'm not going to play that guy. I mean, he's had his chances with Mahomes to be a super productive player. That has not been the case. I mean, they've made it like a, an effort to get Hardman more involved. He had nine targets two weeks ago. He had six targets last week. So Potentially, this is a game where I don't mind McCole Hartman, especially because, look, Chad Henney can just hand it off to him, you know, a screenplay, and he could take it to the house. Like, that has nothing to do with Chad Henney. That has nothing to do with McCole Hartman, and particularly this Chargers defense that hasn't really been that good all season. So, I like McCole Hartman, especially because he might get overlooked because, oh, well, Mahomes isn't playing, but I'm really just looking at this specific player. I'm like, yo, Hartman, if he gets six or seven targets, you know, bubble screens or what, what have you, he can take it to the house like that. And we've seen him make big plays, so... I really like to see, and, and honestly, just from a you know an analyst, a fan type of view, I want to see him potentially in the Tyreek Hill role. I kind of want to see how it actually would play out with him playing 100% of the snaps. So I'd say McCole Harmon's really the only guy I'm really interested in for the Chiefs. And look, I realized that earlier this year when Watkins missed time, it was more Robinson, Byron Pringle taking that role. But Watkins is going to be out again with a calf injury. So even if Tyreek plays a little bit more, at least we have one less guy taking away target share. Uh, three more games, everyone. But first, I want to give a quick shout out. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, one 800 with it uh, Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year of Action Pro Subscription Access for just $199.99. Action Pro is act- the Action Network's premium subscription, offering tailor-made stats to make Avid and new betters better. This is a limited time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer also only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers. So that's promo code ACTION. You receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year of Action Pro Subscription Access, $199.99. All right, next matchup, we got the Seahawks at the 49ers. Seattle opened as six and a half point favorites, down to five and a half, game total 47 and a half, down to 46. Russell Wilson completed multiple passes, thrown at least 20 yards downfield, seven of his first eight games. Last three weeks, he only has three such completions, man. I don't know what happened here. I understand regression, but it's like this is even the same offense that we saw for the better part of the first two months. Tyler Lockett has one touchdown in zero games with even 70 yards since week seven. DK Metcalf, I mean, look, he roasted Darius Slay a few weeks ago for 177 yards. Other than that, the guy has two scores in his last seven games. He's only uh, surpassed 80 yards in that one game where he roasted Darius Slay. So, look, I think Metcalf... 
Obviously still one of the best wide receivers in the league already. Lockett will have better days. But at this point, man, with the Seahawks looking to run the ball more and more, it is just tough to expect, you know, a true get-right performance before the playoffs. So only guy I'm truly interested in attacking in this one from DFS land, Chris Carson at 6,200. Look, he was limited in his first game back from the injury. Since then, even with Pete Carroll saying that, you know, that he's not 100%, they want to limit him. 16, 15, 17, and most recently, 19 touches. So only two touchdowns, that's been the problem. Again, this is a matchup where not the most fantasy-friendly game. I don't think there's a bunch of, uh, you know, bring-back options. It's not what I'm going to be looking to game stack. But Chris Carson, potentially, you know, with that Seahawks defense, too, with an erratic quarterback under center for the 49ers, could be a good, you know, tournament play to try to get one of those multi-touchdown, 100-plus yard games that we know he has in his potential range of outcomes, regardless of the opponent. Andrew with the 49ers, man. George Kittle came back 90-plus yards for the faithful fantasy managers. Brandon Iyer's been balling all season long. Jeff Wilson was a monster. Who are you targeting this week? There's a lot of 49ers that are really interesting here because you can make the argument that George Kittle at 6K is still really too cheap because he has a you know Travis Kelsey light ceiling. And he only played 49% of the snaps coming back from the injury. And that's what the report said. He was going to be on a pitch count, and that's exactly what happened. But to his credit, he turned all of his opportunities into 92 yards on five targets. So now we're going to get George Kittle at 100% of the snaps, potentially, because this is what we saw with Jordan Reed when he came back from an injury. He played on a snap count when he first came back, and then the next game he played a full complement of snaps. So that's what I would expect from George Kittle. So I absolutely love him in this spot, especially with Travis Kelsey essentially off the board. You can't really play him because he's going to be in a limited capacity. George Kittle becomes the pseudo, you know, elite tight end option on this slate at just 6K, and the matchup is good. Over the past four weeks, Seattle has allowed the fifth most receptions to the tight end position, and the connection with C.J. Beathard is real. Kittle owns a 27% target share and is averaging 3.46 average yards per route run with Beathard at quarterback. So Beathard loves to target George Kittle. There is no Brandon Ayuk. So really, I think that George Kittle is a really strong play at the tight end position. And it's just awesome because you don't have to pay eight plus thousand dollars for a decent tight end for one so you can play one at for 6k and i think it's a good pivot off of potentially darren waller who might people would be going to i just don't see the, the really the difference when i could just pay you know save some money with a george kittle and i will say from the receiver position as well richie james actually played ahead of kendrick Bourne in the last game so they didn't really use the receivers a lot they were running the ball they played you know almost 50 percent of their plays out of 21 personnel so this isn't a spot where I'm like, oh yeah, Richie James smash. But at 3.1K, he's going to potentially be their number one wide receiver with no Brandon Ayuk. And you can't ask for a cheaper option than that. And again, the Seattle defense has obviously been better, but it's not like they have elite cornerbacks. And the one game where we saw Richie James featured, he absolutely went was bonkers against the Green Bay Packers. So he offers a lot of upside. He's going to run a lot of routes for the 49ers. And if they're trailing in this game against the Seahawks, I think Richie James can easily pay off you know, a basically bottom dollar price tag. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk already ruled out with the ankle injury. Jeff Wilson, 6,000, you buying a repeat? I mean, they're going to feed him because they don't want to give the ball to Tevin Coleman. They rarely ever use Jarek McKinnon anymore. You know, they anything to feed Jarek McKinnon. It's like the last thing Kyle Shannon would ever want to do. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, his price doesn't really make a lot of sense. He's had two 30-point games a season. And, I mean, Seattle's been okay against running backs, but it's really more middle of the pack. But, but Kyle Shannon wants to run the football, especially with Beathard. So, yeah, Jeff, Jeff Wilson's definitely played six guy. Yes, season high marks and snaps with 70% and overall touches with 23 for Jeff Wilson last week. Very good points with the George Kittle notes as well. Next matchup, we got the Raiders at the Broncos. Denver opened up as three-point favorites for some reason. I, I tried... <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I was like, am I looking at this wrong? But no, they, they actually opened up as three-point favorites. Flipped to the Raiders, minus two, game total at 51. So, you know, we've been giving Derek Carr a lot of love here. But, man, we've reached week 17 now, and his freaking deep ball rate got back down to what we're used to seeing. 11.5%. That ranks just 21st among 39 qualified signal callers. Derek Carr throws a beautiful deep ball we've seen to Aguilar, to Ruggs, to Waller. I mean, he's, he's a great thrower of the football. That's why he is paid as handsomely as he is. He has never ranked higher than 16th in percentage of passes thrown 20-plus yards downfield since entering the league in 2014. We were starting to see it in that real hot stretch of the season they were having. Henry Ruggs came back for that Chiefs game. It was like a you know a switch flipped in uh, Derek Carr's mind. Has not persisted all the way through. And it makes you wonder if, you know, that... Hit- heralded Ryan Tannehill as you know seventh year QB leap might not be everything it's been made up to be in the past year or two so Derek Carr we'll see what 2021 has in the fold but man throw the ball downfield you're very good at it I just don't know why it's always been such a struggle whatever the good thing that Derek Carr can do is he exists brilliantly in that you know one to two seconds between getting the snap and throwing Darren Waller the freaking ball so yeah I think George Kittle for 6k is a better overall value than Darren Waller 7100 I will just say and we saw this with Travis Kelly really up until the last few weeks like tight ends in general are just a little bit underpriced in the DFS community relative to wide receivers I mean there are 10 wide receivers that cost more than Darren Waller this week Waller is eighth in PPR points this season among all wide receivers if you just don't label him a tight end so yeah 7100 most expensive tight end but if you just you know remove that from your mind and say hey I want the pass catchers that you know are going to score the most points because why wouldn't you Darren Waller is in the top 10 he is not priced that way Andrew Man, been a rough couple of weeks for myself and the Drew Locke uh, truth is out there. Jameis is a backup. Josh Allen is now just an, a legit awesome quarterback. He's no longer this, you know, raw gunslinger type guy. Drew Locke is our last, like, hope for this just erratic, fun, not necessarily good quarterback. <laughs> I want it to work out. I'm not sure how many more chances he's going to get. What are you making of this Broncos offense going to Week 17? So this Broncos offense should be in for a productive day. And one thing I want to mention, too, as well, on the Raiders' side. So Nelson Aguilar at 5.4K is is way too cheap, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the guy has been the number one wide receiver for the Raiders and against the banged-up Denver Broncos secondary that's just been pretty bad ever since they lost all of their starters. I think that he's really interesting. I think that his price is also kind of baking the fact that Darren Waller is you know, viewed as the team's number one pass-catching option. But at the receiver position, is Aguilar still in? I mean, the guy had 150 receiving ours last week and he's you no know, price below some guys that you would never even consider playing so i just wanted to point out uh nelson aguilar there because i've been on the aguilar bandwagon this season i, no, I like it's a good a call. lot good call he's uh he's popped all over the the high value targets uh opportunities article all season long but so the denver broncos i mean i'm gonna go back to guys like melvin gordon and jerry judy you know melvin gordon got all the work last week but just randomly just didn't see any targets which is weird because he had been seeing targets all season long with phil Lindsay in the lineup and it just, I don't know, it was fluky, and he had he was decent on the ground, but he just didn't find the end zone. Drew Locke actually rushed for a touchdown in this game, so that could have potentially gone to Melvin Gordon, so he kind of got, you know, vultured there. But, I mean, the, the, the Raiders' defense is so bad. They cannot stop anyone. So Melvin Gordon at 5.7K, there are not many running backs in that range that are going to have 20-25 touch potential in a plus matchup. So I know Melvin Gordon was a bust last week, didn't do much, but I want to go right back to him because his price hasn't has barely changed at all. I don't think it's actually changed at all. Maybe went up like a hundred dollars, but it just makes too much makes way too much sense in the spot. And the same thing goes for Jerry Judy. Look, his expected fantasy points in week 16, 26.3. 
or second to only Devontae Adams. So, like, you can't get this type of elite usage. I mean, 15 targets. Like, come on. And the guy isn't going to drop five passes again. Like, this happened with Deontay Johnson where, you know, he had a bad game, dropped a lot of passes, and people just immediately freak out. Like, oh, my God, the drops. It's He can't catch the ball. But, look, this was never a problem with him at college. Again, he had some focus drops at Alabama. Yes, it happened. But from what I was looking at, he had five drops all of last season at Alabama. Like, he had five drops in one game. This is such an outlier performance that I don't expect it to repeat itself. And look, the thing that I looked at that I was happiest about was Drew Locke threw 11 catchable balls to Jerry Judy. That has been the problem all year long. You know, Jerry Judy is the cover boy for prayer yards from Drew Locke (laughs) this season. So the thing is, he's getting targets. Like, Drew Locke is actually, like, making it a thing where I want to target Jerry Judy. And he even talked about after the game, like, he thinks Judy's a really good player. I think they're going to go back to him. Like, why not? I mean, look, Tim Patrick's been a great story, great player. But, look, he's going to take a backseat next year when Cortland Sutton comes back. It's going to be Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. So they have all the incentive in the world to get Jerry Judy going in this last game with Drew Locke. So, I mean, it's the it's the Raiders, man. Like, their defense can't stop anyone. So, And, honestly, it sucks because I like Gordon. I like Judy. It's like, so, Andrew, you're going to play Drew Locke, too, because he's only 5K, and I'm afraid to pull the trigger because... It's Drew Locke, but it's hard to ignore just all the factors. If I like his skill players, it's hard not to like Drew Locke as well. He threw four touchdowns a couple of weeks ago. Again, it's <laughs> a freaking, he's one of the most volatile quarterbacks in the league, and you get these awful performances. You also get some good ones from time to time. Last matchup, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us here. we got the Washington football team at the Philadelphia Eagles. Open up as Philly, minus four. is flipped all the way to the football team, minus one. So obviously, big story out this week, Dwayne Haskins. You know, I won't spend too much time on this, but I would just say, I would exert more of your negative energy towards the Washington football team organization rather than Haskins. Yes, going to a strip club was incredibly stupid, particularly when you consider Ron Rivera coming off cancer and just the entire state of the world right now being masked in a strip club. Very, very dumb thing to do. I think we can all agree on that. People, there are far worse players that are employed by the National Football League that if you really want to get angry about and the things they do off the field, I think you'd be better served doing so than an immature 23-year-old guy uh, uh, you know, player that has had three head coaches now in his first uh, two years, less than two years in the league. And let's let's look at the football team, the quarterbacks they've drafted since 2000. None of these names are, are made up. Dwayne Haskins, Nate Sudfield, Robert Griffin, Kirk Cousins, Colt Brennan. Oh my God, those visors of Hawaii were sick. Jordan Palmer, Jason Campbell, Gibron Hamden, Patrick Ramsey, Sage Rosenfels, and Todd Husak. Again, you know, it's, it's very tough. Look, Dwayne Haskins has been Awful. Pull any number you want. And if you want to say he's the worst quarterback in the league, I am not going to disagree with you. But again, Washington football team, not exactly an organization that has earned the benefit of the doubt. they got a few other things going behind the scenes right now that, hey, you know, maybe it would make sense for them to try to uh, divert attention from uh, some of their, you know, owners uh, just... I want to talk about, yeah, let's, you know, if you really want to be mad, maybe look at the uh, owners off the field issues compared to uh, Dwayne Haskins. So just remember, you know, different categories for off the field issues. And, you know, ha- hey, I-, I am a Buckeye faithful, so maybe that's bleeding through a little too much here. But I just think Haskins, for someone that really hasn't hurt anybody, getting an awful lot of hate, again, just a young 23-year-old, I think uh, we would all hope that he regains his footing somewhere else. Now, Alex Smith back under center for the football team. Great story. He won comeback player of the year the second he took a snap against Los Angeles Rams. He has been 
pretty much awful for the majority of the year, though. <laughs> Among 43 qualified quarterbacks, Alex Smith ranks 32nd in PFF passing grade, 32nd in yards per attempt, 35th in QB rating, dead last in average target depth. I mean, look, it took four to six quarters, understandably, before we saw Smith look anything resembling comfortable. Like, dude, he apparently doesn't even have, like, a full calf, and they're trying to force him back on the field playing through a calf injury that he doesn't even have a fault. Like, it seems risky. And the one thing we did see in those first uh, two games with him back especially was force-feeding J.D. McKissick targets. I think that's the only potential option for you showdown Slaters. This is just rough situation, man. I'm more scared than ever for the guy against this Eagles pass rush, man. I, I know uh, uh, Washington has been arguably – I mean, hey, they're in a position to win the NFC East, but – Oh man, it has not been uh, it has not been good with anyone under center. Haskins, Smith, Kyle Allen, you name them, they have been a bad quarterback by just about any metric. And the reason I read all those metrics, I know our PFF grades always get this bad rap because people show one grade against a player. Like, no, not any stat should be used as a standalone to show one player. But when we can list five, six stats, one of which includes the PFF grade, that's when I think they're a little bit more usable. So. Now that I've gotten all that off my chest, Andrew, tell me about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. And hey, you know, let down against the Cowboys, but maybe, maybe this offense can give us something in week 17. Well, first, I need to disagree with you about Dwayne Haskins being the worst quarterback in the league because he's not in the league right now, Ian. So can't can't be the worst quarterback if he's not in the he's not in the league. So fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jalen Hurts didn't, you know, light the fantasy world ablaze in week 16. But look, he still put a more than respectable 20-plus fantasy points, and the turnovers really... Okay, number one, the fumble was not a fumble. He was clearly down. His knee was down. Should have been credited with the fumble. And one of his interceptions was at the end of the game. He's just trying to, you know, make something happen, a desperation throw. So I think the three turnovers are kind of inflated a little bit. And, I mean, look, he still scored 20-plus fantasy points. Like, that's a pretty good day for a quarterback. I still think he finished actually as a low-end QB1 on the week. So... Look, I mean, the matchup's not great. The, fo- the football team has actually been one of the better defenses this year. They've been, you know, in every metric across the board, whether it's coverage, with pass rush, PFF grades, you know, they've been in the top 10, you know, basically all season. So it's not a great matchup. But the football team has really run a lot more zone coverage schemes, and that's really what Hurts has been the best at throwing against in his three starts this season. It's been against zone coverage. The only numbers that kind of inflate that a little bit is just the one touchdown pass to Deshaun Jackson, which happened to be in man coverage. So those are why his numbers are a little bit inflated from last week. And I mean, dude, I just go on a tangent here, but Deshaun Jackson, dude, has there ever been a more quintessential D Jack stat line than 181 and one than Deshaun? I mean, that's literally like people like were phrasing, oh, like he's going to do a Deshaun Jackson. Like he was the quintessential guy that like created this, boom bust wide receiver you know persona and for him to just go out and do that it's just like it's i mean i can't get enough of it but i am concerned about miles sanders talked about the the washington football team's defense there's a chance that this offensive line for the eagles just gets totally swallowed by chase young and company like this eagles offensive line couldn't handle this off couldn't handle this d line week one we saw the carson wentz disaster play out and I don't know if there's any of those guys left from the first week of the season, whereas the Washington football team seems to be firing on all cylinders. So we could see this run game just get totally swallowed up by the football team. So not high on Sanders at all. I still think you go back to Hertz. The football team ranks fifth and fewest rushing yards allowed in fantasy points to running backs over the last four weeks. But we could also see a start from Zach Ertz back into the tight end number one role. Dallas Goddard is banged up. 
Again, the Eagles can't play, and the, they're not going to make the playoffs, so they have nothing to play for in this matchup. If Washington is winning in, and then if they lose, it's going to either be Dallas or the Giants, depending on who wins the game earlier in the day. So they have no reason to rush Dallas Goddard back. He is their future if he's not ready to go from a calf injury. So Zach Ertz is going to get another shot, and Zach Ertz has seen seven targets in back-to-back weeks, so he'd be the top tight end option in DFS. Yeah, I put the D-Jacks 181-1 line right up there with the Julio 10-150-0. Some of the most uh, great lines we've seen out there. All right, everyone, that's going to do it. We have made it through all 16 games, 17 straight weeks with these game preview pods. I hope you all enjoyed them. We will have more on the way throughout the playoffs and continue to look more at DFS and just the state of the league as a whole. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing this journey with me throughout the season. Uh, You can all follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, what are you uh, writing this week? Dude, it's all DFS content. Got to give the people what they need because no one plays redraft or serious players don't play redraft anymore. Ooh, shots Again, fired. Okay. You can't, you can't do it. I mean, imagine if you had Mahomes, you had the stacked lineup. It's like, yeah, I can't play anybody because my league goes into week 17. So there's actually one league I play in. It's actually my girlfriend's league. I run her team for her in her office and we're, we're up against it. We're down 60 points heading into week 17, the double matchup because we faced Alvin Kamara and Mike Evans Ooh. last week. So I'm praying that you know we don't, they don't score 100 combined points for a second consecutive week, so we can pull out the win. Because we got we had Josh Allen, so he helped lighten the load a little bit last night. But we got a lot of work to do. That's at Andrew Erickson underscore. Check out all the DFS content. Again, we'll be back on Friday with another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, talking specifically more DFS. That maybe some swag talk with, uh, with TJ as well. I know he's a big fan of that. That's it, everybody. He's Andrew Erickson. I'm Ian Hart. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care. Thank you.